Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Martin Slingstad. Martin is an autistic behavior specialist from California and the co-author of Chatterbox, My Life with Autism, A Mother and Son's Perspective. In today's conversation, we discuss Martin co-writing his autobiography with his mother, coping with anxiety, music, snowboarding, and other special interests, Martin's work as a behavior specialist, ideas to improve the field of applied behavior analysis, stimming in the classroom, and advice for other practitioners working with autistic children. In this episode, discover what's possible when direct experience informs best practice. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Martin Slingstad. Hi, Martin. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's it's a great honor. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Martin Slingstad, and was diagnosed with autism at the age of five and. It's honestly been quite the journey so far. When did you first learn about your autism? I would probably think during my diagnosis and back when I was about three and a half, I was actually nonverbal. And I mean, back in the day, since autism really wasn't fully understood, I didn't really kind of get the two and two together. And so it was after the diagnosis, I had a tough time realizing or kind of accepting it in a way. I was still confused about it. And I mean, now that technology is advancing, I'm starting to understand it a lot more than back then. Mm Mm-hmm. How does autism affect your everyday life now? So far, it's a little roller coaster. I mean, yeah, I'm able to do the things that I love, but then there are the times where if there's, like, say, a job interview or something, then it starts affecting me. I get nervous and I, and I have a tough time saying what I really want or, like, have a tough time speaking. And it's definitely been difficult, but other than that, everything's been better. Hmm. What are some of your strengths related to your autism? Some of my strengths, let's see, I'm definitely great at remembering things, especially when I was a little kid from when I grew up in the mountains and I still remember to this day 
when it would snow and we took our skis out and we would sled down our little mountain and then we'd start crawling back up and skin back down again. And that was pretty fun. But also another strength I would say is I'm a really good listener. And so let's just say somebody's really having a tough day, then not only am I good at listening, but I'm also really compassionate and I really help to make their day get better by, you know, either telling a joke or something like that, just to cheer them up. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some stereotypes related to autism that are just, you know, not true, kind of outdated? That's a good question. I will be honest. I really haven't had much focus on that. I really don't know some of the stereotypes. I don't know if this could be one, but I've been told at school, like, you know, people on the spectrum aren't really that smart or overdramatic, but that's really just not true. And I really hope that if given the chance, I want people to know that not only are we really great people, we're also hard workers that don't give up. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's really one of the, um, one of them, but that's what kind of came into my mind. Mm -hmm. So if you could let a non-autistic person step into your shoes, what would you like them to experience? Ooh, just to know what it's like to be on the spectrum, because it's not still understood at this time and autism's really not talked about i think maybe if somebody that's not on the autism spectrum could step in our shoes just for i don't know maybe a few minutes or so just to know what it's like on our end then it could have a totally diff or they could have a totally different mindset and think you know what i was totally wrong about this and it's hard to say. I will be honest. Yeah. Is there something specific that you think people have a misunderstanding about? Like if you could say, you know, I wish my neighbor could see what it's like when I experience this or when this happens. This is what happens for a lot of autistic people. Mm -hmm. I would definitely think that in the school setting, especially. Because they don't understand the stuff that we've gone through, like either teachers or even other students making fun of us, they don't see that. And so I really think it needs to be brought to light more. And going through that was definitely a tough one. But yeah, if they were in our shoes and experienced that, then it would be like, you know what? We have to figure out a way to make it more accessible for these students and be more friendly towards them and help them. Mm. Were you bullied as a child? You know, in school, yes, a lot. And it's really weird, but I kept it to myself because I felt like 
if I brought this to the attention of others, then the bully would be the one that says, oh, that's not true. He's just overthinking. He is on the autism spectrum, you know, or something like that. So I kept it to myself. But there were some teachers, too, which made it even more difficult. But I finally, it was easier for me to get the help when I dealt with the situation in college. But from preschool to high school, that was definitely difficult. And I did fight back once, but I learned my mistake that I shouldn't do anything and at least try to get the teacher to help bring the bullying down. But yeah, I just, after that incident, I immediately felt bad. And for those listening that if they still get bullied to this day, just reach out for help instead of fighting back. Or what my mom did when we were in middle school is we set up a classroom to where other kids on the autism spectrum, we would all meet up in a room and actually set up games for us and like hang out and be in our comfort zone, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's nice. So you had a space for yourselves. Yeah. A safe space. Yeah. Great. Well, Martin, let's talk about your book. It's titled Chatterbox, My Life with Autism, A Mother and Son's Perspective. And as the name suggests, it's an autobiography that you co-authored with your mother. But it's not your typical book with two authors. It's actually broken down by subject matter. And you each tell your own stories. Could you describe the format for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So the reason why we formatted it like we did is, well, first off, when we sat down to talk about writing this book, we had to come up with the most important topics to talk about. And so after that, when we wrote this book, it kind of, I don't know if you could tell from like the chronological order, we started off in the early years, kind of worked our way down. And the reason why we decided on this is for this book to have two different perspectives. And had I wrote this book and had it on as my own perspective, then it would only be my side. And so with my mom's perspective, you're not only getting the autism person's side, but the parent's side, because it's kind of like, okay, this is definitely interesting. And I feel like in doing so, it not only helps shed more light into it, but it could also help people who are not on the spectrum understand it better coming from my mom's side as for raising someone like me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have it broken down by chapters and you give your take on that topic and then comes your mom's message. And when you guys were writing the book, you actually didn't share 
any of the drafts with each other, right? Right, right, correct. It was definitely interesting, I will be honest, because I was like, <sighs> the most interesting part about not knowing what we wrote is like, okay, if I see something on my end and it's totally different from what my mom wrote, then I was nervous because I would have thought like, maybe it wouldn't make sense to the readers. <laughs> I will be honest. Yeah. But it was definitely unique learning about what my mom wrote. Cause it's like, when I think of things in my own mind, I sometimes portray it as a little too dramatic, but on as somebody else, they're like, Oh, it's not dramatic at all, you know? But so that's kind of the, I, I think the reason why we, did that just to kind of show both sides. Were you surprised by anything that you read of your mom's writing? Not really. I kind of expected it, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I think it was something incredible that my mom wanted to be a part of the book because from the parents' standpoint, I know how hard it is to raise us. And so for those newer parents who read this book, it could give them not only some insight, but also it could help them come up with ideas to help raise their child better or like, or help them if there was something that they really didn't understood before reading the book, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do have something to say for the parents because, like I said, I know it's hard raising someone like us, but what they don't realize is that they are a superhero. And there's that saying, like, not all heroes wear capes. And that's especially true to the autism parent because. I know raising someone like us is no easy task. There's always those sleepless nights. And I know how tough it is. And I really want to thank the parents that really help raise us and help or help make our world a better place. And, you know, they're to us, even though we can't really verbally or show it, they are our superheroes. Yeah, that's really sweet of you to say. In your book, you talk about dealing with anxiety and depression for most of your life. What were or what continue to be some triggers for you and how did you cope with them? Well, definitely to this day, anxiety still is one that I struggle with. I mean, I'm definitely happier. I mean, with the work that I do, it's definitely really helped me cope with everything. But I would say if, whenever I do feel anxious, like even before I went on this podcast, I was feeling pretty anxious. And what helped me was listening to my favorite music. and. I feel a pretty good coping mechanism to deal with anxiety 
is not only that, but doing something that I love to do and even work on um, mandalas. You know, those, mm -hmm. do, yeah, and working with the different colors, that really helps me zone out. And I could tell that my anxiety goes down little by little. And so that's one way. And also photography, something about going out in nature, taking photos of the wildlife, and just listening to all the different animals and the wind. It's just a definite anxiety reliever, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's great that you found some strategies to help you in those moments. Yeah. You also dedicate a chapter in your book to hobbies, and you have a whole long list of yeah. different hobbies. What are some of your special interests? Some of my special interests, as stated last, which was photography, and I'm actually working on a photography book as kind of like a sequel to Chatterbox, but I also like to golf, even though it is totally frustrating at times but i think just something about being outdoors is like really really helpful and another recent thing that i started taking up was djing oh cool yeah and the reason why is when i'm scratching or playing these different songs i can be myself without being made fun of and I actually went to one of the concerts or one of yeah one of the DJ concerts and at first I was nervous but as the music started playing there were so many people that were like me I just I just felt like it was a safe space to like even dance even though I couldn't dance and it was amazing so what kind of music do you like Oh, it depends. Let's see. Electronic, so electronic dance music. Just the way that the beats play, it helps really get me energized or even helps me stay focused and relieve anxiety. But just so many different types of music. I could go from EDM to country to hard rock and metal to like, classical music and even hip-hop and all that stuff so very very wide range of music mm -hmm. cool i read that we also have a common hobby which is snowboarding oh awesome yeah snowboarding is really fun yeah and we're both from california so we've probably <laughs> been on the same mountains like in lake tahoe and big bear yep. mammoth yep could you share a memory from one of your favorite snowboarding trips? Yeah. I know you mentioned earlier remembering the slopes, right? Or the ski lifts. Yeah. Yeah. So from that, I used to um, live on Mount Hamilton. So there was a little slope. And when the snow covered those mountains, we would just go right out our front door down the hill and then climb back up. But um, <laughs> yeah, I wish... I. Still was snowboarding, but I did have an unfortunate back surgery, so I can't really do as much of that anymore. But I would say my 
memory would be deciding to switch from skiing to snowboarding, being able to snowboard with cousins, and hitting my first jump. I remember, even though it's just like a little, like a little bunny hop, but <laughs> like being able to stay balanced after that was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I remember my first baby jump also. <laughs> it's really exhilarating. And when you land it without falling, it's like this huge sense of accomplishment. Exactly. There's been plenty of times where I try to, where I remember trying to jump, but the balance was like, no, not happening. You can't get your first jump in yet. And uh, just doing that first one at, I believe it was Bear Valley, if I remember right. And that was probably one of the coolest memories they had. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, I haven't gone snowboarding in years. I miss it. There's something so freeing about being on the mountain and having the snow just kind of support you and trusting your board mm -hmm. and dodging the trees. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right, Martin, let's talk about your work as a registered behavior technician, or RBT for short. How did you get involved in the field of applied behavior analysis? So currently, I am just below RBT, so behavior specialist. Okay. But the funny thing is, my boss was a guest speaker at my college graduation. And then after, my mom was like, oh my gosh, you got to talk to him. You got to let him know about your autism and everything. And so I was a little nervous at first. But when I talked to him, I was like, yeah, I'm on the autism spectrum. and he told me a little bit about himself, about he owns an autism company and he wanted me to work for him because I think having somebody on the spectrum working in that field can be beneficial. And so the interview process, oh, that was not fun. That was definitely not fun. But after that, working in the field, it's definitely opened my eyes because no two people are the same. And so I think working in this field, I've totally understood that. And it opened my eyes to like, whoa, there's a lot more than I thought. It's more broad and more wide than previously thought. And so I love what I do. And I think the highlight of working with them is when I tell the parents, yeah, I'm on the spectrum too, they tell me that, you know, for the first time in a while, you've given us hope. And so that really stuck to me. Hmm. We've talked on this podcast before about the controversy around ABA therapy. I know there are a lot of autistic adults who are against it because Either they've undergone the therapy and were traumatized, or maybe they know people who have gone through ABA and have heard stories. Anyway, there's this argument that ABA is trying to normalize autistic people and have them change who they are. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think 
about this argument and what are your thoughts about ABA? I understand why it is controversial. I totally get that. And I think the way that they are trained, the one thing I can see why is if there's something that the child on the spectrum doesn't want to do, then they tell us or they kind of train us to like, you know, take that item away from them. But the problem with that is that item could be something that helps keep them calm, you know? And so I just feel like if there was a new way to train others or just let them keep their item, then of course the sessions could be better. The whole outbursts and meltdowns could lessen, but like the way I do it is if I'm running a goal that that they need to work on, if they're not ready, they're not ready. You know, I really don't push them to the point of having a meltdown. And I feel more patience would make ABA less controversial. And one thing that I do with one of my sessions is let's I'll just give an example say we have a child whose favorite show is Dora the Explorer right Mm -hmm. and so how I would set it up is I would look for the three most probably ones that they're close to finishing is kind of start off low and then kind of work our way up to the more important ones but You're talking about their goals, right? The programs? Yeah, on their goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there are three of the goals, and I would pretend that I call over the map. And on the map, to get to the end of the session, to work on these three goals. And so after the first goal, then like a distraction, like maybe Swiper the Fox or whatever, tries to interrupt the session and completing the goal. So what I would do is, of course, tell the kid, okay, say swiper, like swiper, stay away, swiper, stay away or something like that. And then as we move on to the more or the the, the last goal that they need to work on, it's like, okay. We got one more goal. Swiper's already gone. We could do this, you know, just to kind of encourage them. And then once they reach their destination, then not only like they get in session, but also like we could play their favorite game that they've really wanted to because they earned it or something like that. So I really want to make it more play-based. That's great. You're building off what they're interested in which will keep them more engaged in the session and more likely to learn new skills because you're making it fun. Mm -hmm. So have you tried to bring up some of these issues with your director of training, for example, talking about like better ways that they could treat the children? I have not. And I just feel like 
I'm kind of taking or writing down data like myself just to kind of see if this could work, you know? Mm. And I'm just waiting on that. And I, I just feel like if I even bring it up with them, I would probably, it's, I'm kind of sec- I second guess myself. It's like, well, maybe it's the way that I'm training that makes it fun or it's hard to say, I will admit, but I'm unsure if I will bring it up because I don't want to be like, hey, you know what? I think if we really want ABA to get better, we should do it like this way. But I just get nervous because I don't know if by saying that, that they would either agree or disagree with me, but also like not be too happy that I brought it up. So I've been keeping it a little to myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that your lived experience as an autistic person is so valuable to the field. Mm-hmm. And there is already a movement to reform ABA and people talk about different strategies that have been used in the past that are harmful. Like, for example, strict escape extinction, which is, you know, not letting a child get out of doing a task, kind of forcing them to finish it at whatever cost, meaning till they have a meltdown, which is really stressful. And so anyway, there are these discussions circling around now about how to make ABA more compassionate and put the individual first. Right. So things like that and also what you're saying, I've heard before too, to not ever take things away from a person, to give them autonomy, to relinquish it themselves, first of all, instead of just taking it from them, but also finding other ways in the teaching to have them acquire whatever skill that you want them to learn that doesn't involve just taking something away from them. Mm -hmm. So I know it's hard sometimes to bring things up to supervisors, but I, I would just encourage you to think about it some more because the worst that can happen is they say no, but really you're putting your client's best interest at the forefront. Right. Yeah. And I will say this, that I feel for sessions to be better, you know, if they're not ready to do something, just do something that's more fun. And for those new people that are going into the field of ABA, the biggest key is to build rapport with the kid. So, like, don't even worry about whatever goals that are needed just make them comfortable with you because you know you're going into this kid's house they don't even know you and even if it takes a little while just to get that first goal that's totally fine and just don't put pressure to have try to get them to do something they don't want to yet and i feel the slower the better because there's like that saying the tortoise always wins the race. And so I just feel 
that would be very important for those that kind of had a little difficult time with sessions. Just take things slower. And if they're not ready to do that, just do something else. And that'll keep them engaged and always not take an item away from them because that'll make things worse. And they could probably have that item because that's a way of like de-stressing during session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) You also have some specific views about stimming. Mm -hmm. Could you share those? Yes. First, sorry, could you describe what stimming is for people who might not be familiar with the term? Yeah. So stimming, there are different types of stimming. There's auditory stimming, so certain music or sounds help us calm down, or there's olfactory stimming, which would be certain smells like, like for me, coffee beans. Like I really, it's really complicated to describe. And then there's the normal stimming, like hand flapping and everything. However, there is always some of those dangerous stims, you know, like skin picking and stuff like that. But the one thing I recommend for parents who have a tough time with kids that are skin picking or something, get a stress ball or something, or maybe like a squishy pillow or weighted blanket, and then that could not only keep them from picking themselves, but it's also a great alternative for those less harmful stims. Yeah. And just with that, Martin, I just want to add sometimes with replacing stimming behavior, you have to really look at what is satisfying, like what of the behavior is satisfying for the person. Right. And if it's skin picking, is it the motion of picking at something with your index finger and your thumb? So a stress ball could be good, but it may not always be getting at that exact sensory input. Right. Yeah. So maybe something like peeling stickers or maybe (laughs) picking at a stress ball. So maybe not squeezing it, but like picking off the styrofoam or something. Yeah. And one of the most common stems would be hand flapping. And for somebody who really doesn't understand stemming, that's just hand flapping is just our way of calming down or relaxing. Mm -hmm. I know it may look very distracting, but to us, it's our way of coping. Yeah. And... One view that I have is stimming should be allowed in a school setting. And I can't stress this enough to teachers to allow us to stim. I mean, I know we could work on different types of stim, like something that's less distracting. But I mean, I've tried stimming in class once in middle school and I always got in trouble. Mm. And the most tough part about that is if we aren't allowed to stem in a class setting, 
then all that anxiety builds up. And it's like when we get home, it's like when Mentos and Diet Coke meet up, you get that combustible stress. And the parents are the ones that have to deal with it. And so I just feel if teachers allow us to stem in some way, it could help keep us calm during class time, but also we would be calm enough at home to where that anxiety really doesn't boil over into a meltdown. Yeah, yeah. And that involves educating the rest of the class about what stimming is and why a particular student is doing it so that it doesn't become a distraction for the other students. And kids adapt, right? Like, I've heard this before from other specialists that, you know, once they kind of get used to a certain person's stims, they just fall in the background and it's no longer a disruption. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think somehow, some way we should start implementing that in the classrooms and we won't be having these meltdowns as much. But yeah, I'm really hoping we could train these teachers and classmates somehow and just try to make it more accommodating for us in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you also have a YouTube channel. Tell us about that. So, oh, wow. Let me think. So it is called Martin's Autism Life. I haven't been on it in a while. I ended up getting a new phone. And the problem with that is it logged me out of my account. So I'm trying to remember what my login email is to get back into it. But the reason why I created this YouTube channel is to kind of start talking about autism more in hopes to bring more acceptance because now with the autism rate now in one in 44 kids, it's now more than ever, we need to start having our voices heard more. And I have about three videos so far on there that goes from stimming to misconceptions of autism, as well as ways to talk with us, if I remember right. And I feel doing something like this can really help shed more light. At first, it was not easy for me to do this because I dislike with writing the book and recording these. I got that sense like, you know, what if nobody really, really cares, you know? But something inside me was like, record these and it's actually gotten really positive feedback that even some teachers that I keep in contact with this day have messaged me and like, you know what, this is really, really helpful. And we had no idea about this. And so they've actually shared it with their fellow teachers. And it's honestly been really great to see that even though it's a small step, but it should change that we're starting to see happen. Yeah, that's great. I hope you continue the videos. I'm interested in the video about how to talk to autistic people. Could you share some of 
the content from that? Yeah. Um, so the very important thing to start a conversation with an autistic individual is take it slow. There might be times where if you approach us, we might not want to talk depending on how our day is going. So let's just say you approach us and if we see you, we're either going to walk the other way or pretend we're talking on the phone because we're not ready to talk to others or just not ready to talk in general. But for those who are ready to talk, a very important first step, and I actually wrote this down in my speech as well, that start off by asking them what their favorite subject is. And in doing so, you're not only able to start the conversation with them, but they really also like to talk about their favorite subject. And that's a really great first step. And in doing so, after a few exchanges, you could probably bring up, okay, share your story about growing up on autism, because I really would like to hear what you have to say. Mm. But yes, the really great first step would be asking what our favorite subject is, and then we could be talking a lot. And, <laughs> but yeah, that'll be a pretty good first step. All right, Martin, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other practitioners or teachers, just educators in general, working with autistic people? That's a good one. Um, something I'd like to say would be be patient. And I know there will be times where we're having a really bad day and we really don't want anything to do with you, but just be patient. And also, if you see us in a meltdown, just figure out ways to help keep us calm, have some items ready just in case. And with your help, we could finally reach our beautiful destination, like a world that accepts us for who we are and a world that is there for us when we need them the most. Mm. Yeah. I do have a quote I would like to say, and I feel like this would really, really be beneficial. I have it written down in the speech here. And it really stuck with me. And I just really feel like it could stick with others too, like who are dealing with anxiety or stress or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it says, and I don't know who wrote this quote, so I do apologize, but an arrow can only be shot by pulling it backward. When life is dragging you back with difficulties, it means it's going to launch you into something great. So just focus and keep aiming. And I really believe that this could resonate with others and me because even though the bow of difficulty is dragging you back, someday soon that inner voice will tell the bow to let go and we'll finally live a life that we've wanted full of love and support from others. And so for those of you who are facing that bow that's dragging you back, just keep up the fight and 
don't give up. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. How can people learn more about you? They could follow me on social media. I'm going to write down my Instagram on here, Martin's Autism Life. And on YouTube as well. I mean, once when I get that back up again, but mm-hmm. it's called, I think it's Martin's Autism Life or Martin's Autism Journey on YouTube. And I'm just really, really hopeful. Yeah. It's been a definite journey this whole life of mine. And, you know, I do want to thank you for allowing me to be a guest on here because for me, it's like a step in the right direction, knowing that sharing my story for others to listen could hopefully inspire others like me to help start spreading the word about us and sharing more of our stories to bring this world closer to autism acceptance. And we could be like a phoenix rising from the ashes and finally being able to live not only how we want, but we could live the life and do what we want without negativity and bullying. Yeah. So I do thank you for letting me be on here. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Listening to autistic voices should be the first step in trying to improve the field of ABA. It is crucial that their lived experiences help inform what defines best practice. As controversial as this topic may be, we need to continue these important conversations that include the primary stakeholders. Like Martin, are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.